Our scripture text this morning is from Matthew chapter 8, verses 28 through 34. I'll ask you to please turn there with me in your pew Bibles, page 763, Matthew chapter 8, verses 28 through 34. A reading from Matthew, chapter 8, verses 28 through 34. And when he came to the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him, coming out of the tombs so fierce that no one could pass that way. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a herd of many pigs was feeding at some distance from them. And the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, Go. So they came out and went into the pigs. And behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea, and drowned in the waters. The herdsmen fled, and going into the city, they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. This is God's word for the people of Riverside Baptist Church. Lord, the ability that the forces of wickedness have seems incredible. We see it told overtly here in your word, and we think we see it being manifested around us each and every day as influence is shown in rotten and evil ways. Lord, when we consider this world, when we consider the spiritual forces of darkness around us, Lord, it can become fearsome. It can become, Father, disconcerting, and we can at times, when we take our eyes off of you, begin to lose hope. But then you provide passages like this, Father, that just that jolt us, that, that shock us back to the reality that is the mastery of your Son. We thank you, Father, that Jesus was capable of healing. We thank you, Father, that Jesus was capable of stopping the winds and the waves. And we rejoice, Father, that all of the opposition against you and against us, Father, is matched and overcome by your Son, Jesus. We pray that you'd help us to see a glimpse of his glory now as we see what he accomplished for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Demons are not to be feared by those who know Christ, but they are to be rightly understood because they are stronger than us. And apart from God's help, we have no hope whatsoever of overcoming their power. So before we consider Christ's authority over them in Matthew chapter 8, I want to begin today 
by directly speaking about demons, a group whose existence is either explicitly denied by those who refuse to accept the spiritual realm or implicitly denied by those who fail to clearly acknowledge or teach on these evil beings. Now, please understand, much about them remains a mystery to us because God has only given us the information He deemed necessary to us in the Word. So we should avoid speculations that go beyond Scripture, and we should beware of entering into thoughts or conversations with others that have to do with myths. We should stick to what the book says. But from the Bible, this morning I want to answer two questions regarding demons, though only with partial answers because so much more could be said and we are limited by time. And those questions are, who are demons and what do they do? Well, demons are angelic spirit beings who once served the Lord along with the good angels who continue even today to serve the Lord. They were created by God for His glory to worship and serve God for all of eternity, but in their pride and in their self-love, they rebelled against Him. Probably sometime between the creation of the world in Genesis 1 and the fall of mankind in Genesis 3. They take their cues from Satan, the most powerful of the demons, who seeks to usurp God and elevate himself at seemingly every point. I believe the book of Isaiah, chapter 14, verses 13 and 14, is speaking of Satan when it says, You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. And catch this. I will make myself like the most high. The heart of Satan, mimicked by the demons that follow him, is to be like the most high. They are usurpers. They want to pull God and the worship of God down, and they want to elevate themselves up to the same place. The aim of demons is to oppose the Lord, to hinder His people, and promote evil everywhere. Theologian Wayne Grudem writes that demons are evil angels who sinned against God and who now continually work evil in the world. Their primary method of opposition is influence. It's not normally possession like we're going to talk about here. That's extremely rare. Their normal mode of opposition is influence as they mysteriously use lies and deceptions behind the scenes of this physical order to persuade people and institutions and cultures away from the right worship of God. People like you and me. These institutions include government and marriage and family. And these cultures include the entertainments and the values and the community perspectives that are around us even today. And realize that falsehood is their strength. 
They, they live in the world of deceptions, and that's where their power lies. Jesus says of Satan in John 8, verse 44, When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So Satan's methodology is to lie in such a subtle, awesome, powerful way in your life that you begin to believe it. He doesn't often work in overt ways. He likes to be subtle and crafty and to get you to buy into things piece by piece. He's a liar, and good liars like to use a little bit of truth to get you to follow along. Revelation 12.9 says the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. Again, he works in deception. One day he'll be thrown down, but today he is the deceiver of the world. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 4, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. Their effort is to blind, it is to put a shadow upon the world so that people do not see and do not believe. So demons desire to blur people's focus, to, to hinder people's perspective and to redirect people's attention away from God and towards almost anything else that could stand in as a replacement for Him, whether it be lust or possessions, whatever it might be, or a piece of fruit on a tree that a serpent says, if you eat it, you'll know and be like God. They will use whatever they can to trip us up, and they will use seemingly any means to try and accomplish their goals. In the Old Testament, they influenced Israel by promoting the worship of idols. All of that idolatry that you read about in the Old Testament, behind all of that temptation to worship idols, were the demons. It says in Deuteronomy 32, verses 16 and 17, speaking of Israel, they stirred him, God, they stirred him to jealousy with strange gods, with abominations. They provoked him to anger. They sacrificed to demons that were no gods, to gods they had never known. They didn't realize it, but all of those rotten, terrible sacrifices they were performing to strange gods were actually being performed to the will of demonic forces. It seems, in fact, that almost all idolatry is under the influence of demons. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 20 says, What pagans sacrifice... They offered to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. To go down the road of idolatry, whether overtly or indirectly, is to follow the path the demons are directing us to follow. They want us to go down a path where we usurp God and elevate ourselves or elevate something in place of God, which is the very heart of idolatry. And make no mistake, their influence remains in the world today and will remain until the day of final judgment. For instance, they continue even now to influence unbelievers. It says in 2 Timothy 2, verses 25 and 26, God may perhaps grant them, referring to unbelievers, repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses 
and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Do you see that vivid language? Paul says God may perhaps grant these unbelievers a spirit of repentance leading to the knowledge of truth because right now they are in the snare, he says, of the devil. They have been captured by him to do his will. They are under the influence of the demonic world. They have so convinced them that the opposite of God is good and right and true that they reject God. They won't listen to the gospel. This is the influence of evil forces. They also continue to lead some to fall away from the faith. Even those who say they're in the faith, demons influence some to fall away from the faith. Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, and I think that means our day, all days following the cross, the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. It's not just a false truth that's put before them by the people of this world. It's a false truth that's put before them as it has been influenced by the demonic forces that seek to influence this world that lead people astray. I think that's what Paul's talking about. And furthermore, they must still be resisted by Christians through the strong armor that has been supplied by God. Paul says in Ephesians 6, verses 11 and 12, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Understand, my friends, as Paul says, when we face all of the onslaughts of the enemy in this world, the enemy that stands behind the enemy is the demonic forces of evil. And that doesn't mean we should be afraid of them or spend all of our time talking about them. But it does mean that we need to understand that behind it all, all that we see in the news, all that's happening that's rotten in this world, there's an influence being put on display. And in considering all of this, demons seem like daunting enemies. As Luther wrote of Satan in his famous hymn, For still our ancient foe does seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great, and armed with cruel hate, on earth is not his equal. And he's right. So how can we ever hope to best these forces? Well, again, Luther says in that same hymn, And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. It is through this truth, the truth of Jesus Christ, the King sent by God, that we find triumph against demons. And this is the heart of Matthew chapter 8, verses 28 to 34. Jesus is King even over the demons. Now, throughout this chapter, 
If you recall, Christ's kingly authority has been revealed in ever-increasing levels. He did these incredible healings in the first part. And then as we saw last week, he stopped the winds and the waves. And now here he is besting these men who have been controlled by demons. Matthew Henry brilliantly writes, The scope of this chapter is to show the divine power of Christ by the instances of his dominion over bodily diseases, which to us are irresistible, over winds and waves, which are to us yet more uncontrollable, and lastly, over devils, which to us are most formidable of all. So once again, Jesus is king even over the demons. Now this morning, I want to be a little different. I want to briefly walk through and explain this text, and then I want to make three important observations about the text. So look with me at verses 28 and 29. And when he came to the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him, coming out of the tombs, so fierce that no one could pass that way. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? So when Jesus and the disciples arrived on the east side of the Sea of Galilee, the country of the Gadarenes, they were met by these two demon-possessed men who up until that point, no one had been able to resist. Now the country of the Gadarenes referred to here, it's referred to as the country of the Gerasenes in Mark and Luke's account of this passage. So here it's called the Gadarenes, and Mark and Luke call it the Gerasenes. And for some reason, when people see discrepancies like that, they get all wild and crazy and want to make accusations against the Bible, forgetting just simple reality of how we live everyday life and how we explain things to people. The reason why Matthew calls it the country of the Gadarenes and Mark and Luke call it the country of the Gerasenes is likely because both Mark and Luke refer to a small seaside village in that region known as Gerasa. While Matthew refers to the broader country land which was known by the larger city of Gadar. So Matthew calls it the country of the Gadarenes and Mark and Luke call it the country of the Gerasenes. I did the same thing this week. Someone asked me where I live. I say, I live in the Tampa area. Another person asked me what part of the Tampa area I was in. I said, the town of Newport Ritchie on the north side. Which is true and which is false? <laughs> they were both completely true. For different reasons, I emphasized different points. So all three Gospels refer to the same location, but with different, though accurate, names for what it was called. Now another difference between Matthew's account here and Mark and Luke's account of the story is that Mark and Luke only refer to one demon-possessed man, while Matthew records two demon-possessed men. And this is perhaps Mark and Luke wanted to emphasize the response of just one of the demon-possessed men after Jesus performed his healing. 
You can go to Mark 5, you can go to Luke 8, and you can see the story related, and at the end of it, you see the response of this individual man, one of them. But Matthew doesn't record the man's response. It's not his purpose for writing this. So he, he leaves in the, the fact that there's actually two guys. Ultimately, we don't know the answer why he does this, but different authors are still accurate even though they choose to emphasize certain details while other authors do not. D.A. Carson explains it well. He says, I saw John Smith in town today. I hadn't seen him in years, even though both John and Mary Smith, his wife, were actually seen. So was he lying and saying that he saw John Smith in town? No, that was just his point of emphasis. He'd met his friend. Perhaps he could have said he saw his wife Mary as well, but no, he simply chose to mention the fact that he saw his friend John. It is amazing the way some New Testament scholars will find any reason they can to attack the New Testament, especially in the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, by talking about some of these, some of these uh, differences between them as if they were all that big of a deal, as if we didn't do the exact same thing today in our lives. So, yes, there are distinctions between these texts, and that's not surprising because Matthew has a very different mission with his book than Mark did with his and Luke did with his. Now, when we hear the term demon-possessed today, as it says in verse 28, we might have a hard time escaping all of the cultural baggage in our minds due to the work of science fiction in recent years. Demons, once again, work in deception. And I have very little doubt in my mind that they influence cultural adaptations of themselves to make it appear as though their influence is wholly fictional and has no basis in reality. They would love God's people or those who are not God's people to watch adaptations of themselves and think, ah, that's beyond the realm of what's possible. I can't believe that. That's just silly. And they do a very good job of convincing people that way. But though they generally work in a mysterious way behind the scenes to influence people and institutions and cultures in this physical order, and though they generally do not, I think, have the right to overtake any person they want to's reason or ability to make decisions, it does seem that especially in the time of Jesus Christ on earth, there was an unusual level of force displayed by demons to the point that they even inhabited a number of people. Now, I'm not going to go further than Scripture. I don't have all of the answers here. But this led to demonic control of these individuals, these persons' body, and even strong influence, it seems, over their decision-making. This seems to have been the case with these two men. Now, look with me at verses 30 through 32. Now a herd of many pigs was feeding at some distance from them. And the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. And he said to them, Go. So they came out and went into the pigs, and behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. It seems that the demons evidently knew quite well who Jesus was, doesn't it? They called him the Son of God, which 
It could mean, just on that alone, that they believe he truly is the Son of God, or they could be using a title for him that shows that they understand that he is a person of reverence, though they might not necessarily believe him to be the actual Son of God. But when you match that with the fact that they expected judgment from Jesus on a time that was still to come, it becomes pretty clear, I think, that they knew who the king was who stood before them. And this shouldn't be surprising that they knew who Jesus was on sight. Because James chapter 2, verse 19 says, You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. The demons are aware of God. They are aware of his existence. They understand his matchless holiness. They grasp the fact that he's all-powerful. They realize that his sovereign control extends to them. And they know that when King Jesus comes up to them on earth, they have one role, and that is to do whatever he says because his power is matchless over them. They know who Jesus is here. Even the demons believe not with a heart of faith, a heart of trust and love, but with one that acknowledges who he is. Well, the region of the Gadarenes, it was filled with Gentiles. East side of the Sea of Galilee, filled with Gentiles, and they evidently had herds of pigs. Now, I'm a Midwest boy. We don't have herds of pigs. They're in confinements. Don't, let's not go down that road of whether or not that's good or not. Lots of pigs where I come from. In that day and age, Gentiles had pigs, but the Jews on the other side of the Sea of Galilee never would have had herds of pigs because pigs were unclean under the law of Moses. And the demons, who were in these two Gentile men evidently, asked Jesus to let them depart from those men and enter the pigs instead. And Jesus says, go. Now some wonder why Jesus allowed this. And some more wonder why he would allow them to destroy these pigs in the sea. Here's my best thought. Jesus is on the east side of Galilee, I think, to announce himself as king to the Gentiles among the Gadarenes. And Jesus uses this vivid way to inform them that the one who has control and mastery over all of the demons and the one who is far superior in value to any of the financial benefits that they found in livestock, that this one, this king, this master, this lord, has now arrived on the scene and has now come across the sea. He's not just come for Jews. He's there for Gentiles. He's making it clear that the one has come. I think he's using these demons and this event to show to spiritually needy Gentile sinners that the king has arrived. Now look at verses 33 and 34. The herdsmen fled, and going into the city, they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. Unfortunately, the people of the Gadarenes wanted nothing to do with the Jewish Messiah. This reveals, I think, that it was not just Jews who rejected Jesus here in Matthew's Gospel, and it was not just religious leaders who refused him, but even needy Gentiles sent him away. There are some who balk at the Gospel of Matthew and say that he's just after criticizing the Jews, but I don't think that's the case at all. I think Matthew's after criticizing everyone for being a sinner. He's after criticizing every human being on earth for having rejected Jesus and needing the salvation of Jesus. And they say to Jesus, 
They, it, says, it says they referred to, when they, were, when they addressed Jesus, they begged him, it says, to leave their region. So Jesus was beginning to show himself to the world, but the world continued to reject Jesus. Now I want to make three observations about this text. Observation number one, demonic power is too fierce for mere humans. These fellows in verse 28, it says, were so fierce that no one could pass by them. They were too strong, they were too savage for the people of the land to come near these guys. So no mere man and no mere woman could overcome this particular demonic influence in that land. And I think this reveals that we can't overcome them on our own in any land in any day. I think we need to understand that demons, my friends, do not fear faithless people. No mere human could ever make a demon quake. In Acts chapter 19, these Jewish leaders, they tried to cast out a demon from an individual. And the demon, speaking through the individual, responds. It says in chapter 19, verse 15 of Acts, But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? I'll let you go check out Acts 19 this afternoon and see what happened to those guys afterwards. No mere human could ever make a demon quake. Our ability to ever fend off the onslaughts of cultural influence, to ever fend off the darkness that's trying to push against us is through faith in Jesus Christ. The only spiritual abilities we have are found through faith in Jesus Christ. It is only through our connection to him, through our identification with him, that we have any ability whatsoever. The only way we can stand against spiritual evil is through King Jesus. I want you to turn with me over to Matthew 17, real briefly. Matthew 17, and look with me at verse 18. Obviously, we'll be considering this text in future weeks, but this is right after the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus and Peter and James and John, they come back down the mountain, and they discover that the rest of the disciples are unable to cast a demon out of an individual. And it says in verse 18, Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the boy was healed instantly. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? He said to them, Because of your little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. So they said, Jesus, why can't we cast it out? Why don't we have the ability to make this demon leave this boy? And Jesus says, because of your little faith, the only ability you ever have against the influence of demonic forces is by faith in me. Because Jesus, says, Jesus knows and he declares that he's the only one who has that kind of mastery against the forces of evil. If we are ever to stand against them, it must be through King Jesus. Now, I am not advocating that we go to Jesus in prayer and then we start looking for people who maybe we think have some demon possession and then we go and try to cast them out. Number one, 
I think demon possession was extremely rare. I think it's even rarer today. In Matthew's day, in the day of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I think there was an inordinate amount of it going on. Secondly, I don't think we have any mandate whatsoever to go and have that kind of a direct approach towards demons who may or may not be inside of a person. I think we have the mandate to preach the gospel, and I think that is powerful enough to do whatever work God would have it to do. So I think we have to be wise about this. We have to understand that, yes, we must trust in Christ, but we have to obey the mandate that he's given to us to make disciples and proclaim the gospel in this world. So that first observation is demonic power is too fierce for mere humans, and I think we must respect that. But my second observation is that Jesus has numbered the days of demons. And this is glorious. He's numbered the days of demons. In verse 29, the demons recognized the Son of God would one day order their eternal damnation. Look close at that verse. They say, have you come here to torment us before the time? They know there's a time coming, but they don't want to have to feel that before the time. They knew that the Son of Man would one day order their eternal damnation. The demons have a time of judgment to come. In Matthew chapter 25, verse 41, it says, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Hell, the eternal fire, was prepared for the devil and his angels. It's their end result. As it says in Revelation 20, verse 10, the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. They will face God's judgment one day. Justice will be served. Demons have only a short time left on this earth, and then their days will be over. Praise God. Observation number three. Jesus' authority is obeyed by demons. In verse 31, the demons begged Jesus to allow them to enter into pigs. And Jesus said, in verse 32, Go! So though they rebelled against God, the sovereign authority of God, evidently, can never be resisted by them. Though they are rebels to the core against the Lord, all demons remain under the sovereign control of King Jesus. They can only go when Jesus says, go, and they will face judgment on the day that Jesus says, you are now judged. Realize even the devil, even the devil will move at the command of the Lord. In James chapter 4, verse 7, it says, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you, from us, friends. The devil flees when we resist him, and we resist him only after we've submitted ourselves to God. So yes, we can be strong against evil forces, but only when we submit ourselves to God, or as Jesus says, because of your little faith, because we need faith in Him.
Therefore, the authority of Jesus can be depended on. King Jesus is king even over the demons. Not just, not just the ability to heal, not just the shocking ability to stop the winds and the waves, but he's king even over every demonic force. So what does this mean for us? Well, I think it means that we can trust King Jesus as we face the forces of darkness. Now grasp this wonderful joy, my friends. When he went to the cross, when Jesus went to the cross, as we're going to see at the end of this book, he disarmed the forces of darkness who stood against us. They no longer have the strength that they had against us if we're in Christ. When he went to the cross, he disarmed the spiritual forces that were against us. And we know this because Paul says in Colossians 2, verses 13 through 15, these words, And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. And then catch this. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Do you realize what this says? This says that God ultimately defeated the spiritual forces of darkness by sending his son Jesus to the cross because it says he triumphed over them in him. All of their accusations against us, all of their accusations against God in saying that he's not just by not destroying us, all of those accusations are gone. God has been vindicated and all of their threats and accusations against us are removed because of Christ's death on the cross. Your sins and my sins, if we have repented of those sins and trusted in Jesus as our Savior, were nailed to that cross with Jesus Christ. And when he expired on that cross, when he died in that cross, all satisfaction for your sins and my sins were paid for. It was made. Your sins are gone. All of the legal demands against you that accused you are removed forever. And anything they could say against God, ridiculing him by saying he's not just for not destroying Joe and destroying you, all of those accusations are forever gone because God paid for me and he paid for you by having it all paid for by his son on the cross. Their accusations have been disarmed because our trespasses have been forgiven through Christ's death on the cross. Has your record of debt been canceled? Can you say yes to this? Can you praise God over this? That this is you. That your sins have been nailed to the cross and paid for by Jesus Christ. Have you put your trust 
in Him alone for this salvation. I also want us to grasp today that Jesus sovereignly reigns above all darkness, even now. Even now. And I'm a guy who reads a little bit too much news. And when I read the news, I guess I'm a glutton for punishment. Because I read the news, and it's pretty rare anymore that I come away feeling good afterwards. I read the news, I watch something that's supposed to be entertaining, and I come away from both, and I think, boy, things just seem to be more and more rotten all the time. And I wonder, when is God going to show his reign? And then I remember that even though I see all of this bleakness, he does reign even now, and that nothing is happening that's not within his grip of control. Jesus sovereignly reigns above all darkness now. Paul says in Ephesians 1, verses 20 and 21, that God seated him, Jesus, at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. All other rule, all other authority, all other power, all other dominion, whether it be earthly, inhuman, or spiritual, demonic, all of it is under King Jesus. So nothing that happens, happens apart from his watch care. Nothing that happens, happens apart from his control and his good, perfect, long road plan. Jesus stands above all other authorities and they can take no action apart from his sovereign allowance. So when you see an earthly authority acting in an inappropriate way, yes, grieve over that and then remember that Jesus knows precisely what he's doing and at the end of it all, he's going to reveal that he is king over all. Do you recognize that he stands authoritatively above everything that happens in your life and authoritatively over everything that happens around you in your life? Nothing happens that's beyond his control. As Paul says once again, he has been seated far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, which is language that speaks of him on a throne sitting and ruling and watching waiting for his day when his throne will descend to earth. And that leads to what I finally want to say. Jesus will destroy all darkness in the day to come. I love this at the end, not the end, the middle of 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 24 says, Then comes the end. So we're talking about the very end, Okay. Then comes the end when he, referring to Jesus, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and every power. There will come a day 
when Jesus is going to go with his kingdom before the Father, and he's going to declare, Father, all authorities, all rules, all powers that stood against you are now defeated. And there will be a chorus such as never been heard before that will sing out in loud cries of hallelujah, for the Lamb has conquered all. One day Jesus will bring all of this evil to an end and his people will enjoy the reign of their righteous king forever. So we are a people of hope. Are you longing and praying and living for that day? Jesus is king even over the demons, and this means so much to us. Though demons be allowed to trouble our bodies like they were allowed to do with the righteous man Job, we can trust King Jesus. Though demons be allowed to corrupt the culture around us by guiding others to adopt the most ungodly value systems, we can trust King Jesus. Though demons be allowed to influence our earthly governments, encouraging judges to redefine words like sex and our federal code as they did this week, perhaps endangering our long-cherished religious liberties, we can trust King Jesus. Though demons be allowed to stand against us by encouraging us day after day after day to worship other little minuscule gods, as they use deceptions to woo God's people towards idols, we can trust King Jesus. And though demons be allowed to remind us of our sins and tell us that we are not worthy of God as they love to do, we can trust King Jesus and we can say right back to them, well, for once you're right. But Jesus has paid my debt and your moment of accusation is coming to an end. We do not fear demons, not if we know the king who sits in command over them. So let's take heart. Lord, we thank you that Jesus is so powerful. We thank you that we have a Lord who is so capable. We thank you that he is not only master over disease as we face it in our land, that he's not only master over the winds and the waves as we in Florida see regularly each summer. He's not only master over the demons, Father, who seek to influence this world. Lord, he's master over all. We thank you that we serve a risen king who defeated the grave. And now, Lord, stands with you, reigning over all, Father, and will one day reign over all this place with feet on this earth with us. We pray that you would hasten that day and that, Lord, you would help us to be faithful while we wait. And we ask this in Jesus' name.